Welcome to Together, Sharing This Resurrection Life. This is a podcast with sermon series for small group discussions. Be sure to check out the show notes for a reading guide. I encourage you to jot down a few notes after you listen to the sermon. And then there's also a link to click on when you meet together as a small group that you can submit your attendance and any questions that you might have to me, Pastor Hagen, and I will follow up with you personally. Please come join this resurrection life together. This five-part sermon series is from Pastor Mike Novotny, entitled, You Reap What You Root. Our introduction for the first one, You You Reap What You Root, talking about groups, goes like this. Even pastors know 60 minutes on Sundays have their limits. Some fruit only comes through personal, vulnerable, doing life together community. The early church knew that, and their group root produced the fruit of love and generosity and kindness. When we are personally known and are personally known in a spiritual community, we find our spiritual and physical needs being met. Novotny, you reap what you root, number one. Uh, Good evening once more, everyone. I'm Pastor Mike. We haven't had a chance to meet just yet, and so excited to speak to you today about one of the most important things about our church and about our faith. So God would bless our message today. Would you join me in a quick word of prayer? Uh, Dear God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for the chance to open your word and not just hear the thoughts of a man, but instead the thoughts of you from God. I pray that you'll give me strength and conviction and clarity as I teach. I pray that you'll give us all ears to hear. God, you want the best life possible for us spiritually. So help us to follow your path, to believe in these roots, that you would produce something incredible in our hearts. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever noticed that some of the best things in life can't just be produced in a second, but they have to be grown? When it comes to good character, when it comes to good kids, when it comes to a strong body, that's so much more than just saying a quick prayer and waking up the next morning. No, it's a process, a step-by-step process that leads to something really good. Uh, Think about pineapple, for example. I love pineapple. (laughs) And I'm not talking like pineapple in a can with those like pale yellow chunks floating in juice. I'm talking about fresh pineapple. I'm talking about cord and sliced from the grocery store. I'm talking about a a fresh pineapple ring on the grill that you put on a burger with bacon and mayo. I'm talking about steak tacos with pineapple salsa. I'm thinking about one of my favorite restaurants uh, down in Madison, Wisconsin, that serves all-you-can-eat sliced pineapple covered in cinnamon for dessert. Uh, last time I was there, I asked the waiter, uh, how many of these can I order until you think I'm that guy? <laughs> and then I totally ignored the answer that he gave to me. Put your hands up nice and high if you enjoy a fresh pineapple, because if you don't, I'm about to question your salvation. It's one of God's greatest gifts uh, to humanity. Oh, you know, I, I got to watch a four-minute YouTube video the other day, and you know what I learned? Pineapple doesn't just pop out of the ground. Uh, it's a process. According to the video I watched from Dole, you know, the, the kings of pineapple growing, it takes about 13 to 16 months from start to finish, from the first planting of, of the seed and the roots until the fresh pineapple, that good fruit that so many of us love and enjoy. I want to tell you that today, not just to persuade you in the gospel of fresh pineapple, but I'm, I'm thinking about your character and your faith and your relationship with God today. 
If you've started following Jesus for any amount of time, you know that this great, strong faith isn't just something you pray for and like there it is. It's a process. And it's a patient process, but it's a predictable one. Like if you plant the right seeds and have the right roots, God will bring back some incredible fruit. There's a great passage in the New Testament in Galatians chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want you to look at that passage for just a second and, and think about what your life is like when you have lots of that fruit and what life is like when you don't. Like if your church or your family or your relationship or your school or your workplace has tons of that compared to when it has none of that. And you start to realize why this fruit is so good. I mean, just think about the fruit of love for a second. If you come to a church and there is no love, like you just come and you find your seat and no one cares and there is no compassion, there's no encouragement, there, there's no welcome, there is no love, you might come to a church, but I bet you won't enjoy it. But if you walk in and the place is bursting with love, people who want to do life together, who want to encourage you, who want to see you grow in your faith, how, how good is that church? Just think about if you grow up in a home and your mom and dad have lots of this fruit. I mean, when dad is faithful to mom and mom is kind to dad. When dad's love of Jesus brings joy into the home and mom's trust in the power of her heavenly father brings peace in the midst of crazy circumstances. I mean, if your parents have fruit, now how, how blessed are you? Think about the fruit of peace. When, when you have peace with God, well, you don't have to fall asleep at the end of the day wondering if you're good enough for him to like you, but, but you know that because of what Jesus did, like it, it's all good. God doesn't just put up with you or let you sneak in the back door of heaven. He loves you. He likes you. He delights in you. He rejoices over you. And if you don't have to live with any of the guilt or shame or question, then the fruit of peace is one of the best things that you can imagine. And, and I can keep going, right? <laughs> When you have the fruit of self-control versus sin. When you start dating someone and they're filled with, with patience and with gentleness and with goodness. Fruit makes life really, really good. Uh, but here's the thing about that fruit. It's fruit. <laughs> and the Apostle Paul picked that word intentionally. He didn't say the miracle of the Spirit like you would pray and there it would be in the morning. Uh, he didn't say the, the result of prayer, like you would say in Jesus' name and open your eyes and there it would be. He said the fruit. Because just like a pineapple needs some time to grow, the Holy Spirit needs some time to work in your heart until he produces an abundance of, of this kind of fruit. And that's why if you come here to our church or you listen to my teaching for more than one or two weeks, you will hear us talk all the time, not just about good fruit, but about good roots. If you walked into church today, you might have noticed a giant tree with big fruit and massive roots in the lobby. You might have seen it on the front of your program. You might have seen little My Roots plans at the Welcome Center. If you get emails, you check out our Facebook, our Instagram. We don't go more than like 24 hours at our church without talking about roots and fruit. In fact, some of you are going to recognize this picture. We often talk about the five roots that produce that incredible fruit. What we call gather, group, grow, give, and go. 
Uh, nod your head if you've heard me talk about that before. Yeah, lots of you. Yeah, by gather, we mean we gather together in church week after week. By group, we mean we do life together with other Christians. By grow, we mean we're trying to get into the Bible every day at home. By give, we're giving generously like Jesus our time and our talents. And by go, we mean we're on a mission to tell people who don't have roots so they can enjoy the fruit of the Spirit too. And as you look at that picture, I just want you to think for a second. There's no, no judgment, no embarrassment. Like, how are your roots? If you had to rank those five things from like your, your strongest root, uh, to maybe a root that's kind of dinky to maybe a root that doesn't quite exist just yet, what, what would be your best and what would be your worst? I want you to think about that because I just read about a 40-year-old article by a former professor of forestry from the University of North Carolina State. It was called Tree Roots, Facts and Fallacies. Sounds pretty interesting, doesn't it? <laughs> it was. His, his name was Thomas Perry. And there was one quote from that study that jumped off the page and made me think of our faith. Uh, let, let me show you what Dr. Perry said. He said, if a large portion of the root system is destroyed, a corresponding portion of the leaves and branches will die. You get that? He, he's saying, if you cut a root off the bottom of a tree, the whole tree doesn't die just the corresponding portion of its branches. In other words, if a tree has fewer roots, it will produce less fruit. Or on the contrary, if a tree has all of its roots, it will produce more fruit. And you get what I'm getting at? When we talk about gather and group and grow and give and go, we are not saying that if you don't give generously or you don't read the Bible on a Tuesday night or sign up for a group, that your faith will die and you won't end up with God in heaven. We are saying, though, that you will miss out on some of the best things that God wants to give. More fruit, more love, more joy, and more peace. And so if your heart is anything like mine, and you want more joy, and you want your marriage to have more love, and you want to have more peace and, and trust in your Heavenly Father, then there's a simple answer. Plant roots. And that's what I want to help you do for the next few weeks. Now, the, the official mission statement of our church is this, that we exist to help people. That's important. We, we exi I exist as a pastor to help people plant Jesus' roots that produce the Spirit's fruit. And so for the next few weeks, I want to talk to you not just about what the roots are, but why they are so good, why they are worth your time and energy, effort, and planning. Because it might not happen today or tomorrow. Like a good pineapple, it might take a year, maybe a little more. But in time, God will keep his promise and your roots will produce incredible fruit. So today, uh, let me start with that second one there, with a group root. A group might be an official life group like we offer at our church, or it might just be those small group of Christians that you do life together with and carry out the one another passages of the Bible. And if I want to be upfront with what the whole purpose of my message is today, uh, it would be the first fill in the blank in your bulletin, that if you want fruit, <laughs> then God's encouragement to you is get a group. <laughs> uh, get connected to people who love Jesus, who love you, and fruit will come. Now, there are so many passages in the Bible that I could turn to to make that point, but uh, today I just want to focus on a single passage, one verse, that's all we're going to cover, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Uh, that passage is actually so famous in the scriptures that there are some churches I've heard of in the United States that are named 242 Church. Because they want their entire culture of their church to be based on that single passage. 
So let me make you, take you back about 2,000 years to when that passage was written. Uh, if you know much of the story of the New Testament, Jesus comes as the Son of God. He dies on the cross for our sins. He rises from the dead. He stays in and preaches and proves that he's risen from the dead for about 40 days, and then he returns up to heaven. And I want to take you to about a week after Jesus returned to heaven, 10 days after his ascension, a day when one of his friends, the Apostle Peter, pe- preached this powerful message and the Holy Spirit went wild. He, he changed 3,000 people's hearts on a single day. Like he added 3,000 members to the Holy Christian Church. They were baptized, they became followers of Jesus, and they looked at each other and they said, well, now what? <laughs> and Acts 2.42 says exactly what the what was. Here's what I want to cover for you today. I want to show you four keys uh, to a good group. Because they devoted themselves. Maybe if we could go back to that last slide. Uh, we're going to find out they devoted themselves to four specific things. Right? But by devoted, we mean they committed themselves to. They, they said no to about a thousand things so they could say yes to these four things. They got into the habit and they protected these habits so they could hang on until God produced the right amount of fruit. All right, so that's what we're going to cover today. Four keys to a good group. And let's see how the passage begins. It says in Acts 2.42, they, the early Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the first devotion the early church had, to the apostles' teaching. The apostles, if you're kind of new to the Bible, were the 12 people that Jesus handpicked to be like his inner circle. And their teaching, we don't have to guess what it was because the first 41 verses of Acts chapter 2 will tell us when the apostle Peter stood up and he taught. And essentially what he taught was Jesus. (laughs) Who Jesus was, what Jesus did. The cross of Jesus, the empty tomb of Jesus. He taught people to repent, to turn away from their sins, and to turn to Jesus for redemption and, and real life. If we're going to fill in the blank, essentially they were devoted to the Bible and the Jesus who was the center of it. And the best groups of Christians do the same thing. They devote themselves, they are committed to, they get in the habit of holding to the Bible. Which might sound like way too obvious to like scribble a note and start and underline it. (laughs) But can I tell you, it's not quite that simple. I've been officially involved in like small groups or life groups where, you know, 10 to 12 Christians get together in a room and try to do life together. I've been doing that for about 10 years. And do you know what I've learned about most of you? That in general, most of you like to squirrel. (laughs) You chase tangents all the time. And I do it too. <laughs> in the course of a conversation, there, there's so many thoughts that pop into our head. And if we are like not devoted or committed to the actual topic, the actual scripture, we will talk about everything except the Bible and the Jesus who's at the center of it. And you might think I'm exaggerating, but sometimes I try to count like the tangents based off of the tangent, which is based off of this tangent and then that one. I mean, I've gotten to double digit level tangents in conversations and you wonder, how did we get here? But that's how the human brain works, right? And the conversation starts, right? Hey, what would you think about the message? And the first person says, well, I don't know. I like that part about Jesus being like the, the shepherd or like he's sowing seed. And the second person says, oh, yeah, that kind of reminds me. Like, I, I grew up on a farm. And the third person says, hey, my cousin's actually a farmer. His name is Rob. 
Next person says, oh, I have a friend named Rob. He loves bacon. The next person says, speaking of bacon, I love Kevin Bacon. And then someone pulls out their phone and they start the Footloose soundtrack. And you, you, I'm kind of exaggerating, but not by much. I mean, we, we chase squirrels and tangents and I mean, a whole hour can go by and we, we missed like the message and the Jesus at the center of it. And, and so the best groups have to be devoted. I mean, we can go on tangents and we can have fun. I'm, I'm not saying not that, but we have to actually commit our minds to hold on and get in the habit of wrestling with the Bible and not just sharing our own thoughts and opinions. And I really want you to be committed with that in your group because I think group is the perfect place to learn about Jesus. I mean, I love church. I love what's happening right now, but, but here's the dynamic of, of church. And if you have a question about something that I say, you, you know, this isn't really the environment to raise your hand and interrupt me. And I love it when people read the Bible and they grow at home, but I don't know about you, but often when I read the Bible, there's stuff that confuses me and, and I don't get. But, but group is the place. Think, think of this. If God puts 10 Christians in a room, how many years of Christian experience has he gathered together? I mean, even if some people are, are brand new to the faith or not Christians at all, in a group of 10, I mean, you might have 50 or 70 or 100 plus years of Christian knowledge. Some people might still be wet from their baptisms, but there are other people who have been following Jesus for decades of their life. They've heard hundreds of sermons and read the Bible cover to cover, and they can help understand this beautiful but sometimes challenging book. You might not even know what a Habakkuk is, <laughs> but there's probably someone in your group who knows that Habakkuk was the prophet that the Apostle Paul quoted in Romans chapter 1, which 500 years ago, Martin Luther read and it helped him to understand that we become right with God by faith because Habakkuk said the righteous person will live by faith. <laughs> and if we come into a group and we are devoted to the apostles' teaching, if we're humble enough to just say, you know what, guys, I have no clue what that means. <laughs> like not just that word or that sentence, but this whole section, I have no clue what it means. Can you help? And if we are devoted to the apostles' teaching, we will teach each other encourage each other and grow together in incredible faith. And you know, especially why I want you to be committed to that? Because some of you are scared of group. I was trying to count. There's a conversation I think I've had um, five times. Uh, I counted five times in the last six months with brothers and sisters in our church. And the conversation was essentially this. Pastor, I could never tell the church about that. And there's some struggle, there's some embarrassing part of the past, and there's just this like fear of, of being real with other Christians. But think about this for a second. If a group is devoted to the apostles' teaching, and the apostles' teaching was essentially that Jesus has forgiven everything, then a group would be the safest place to share anything. If in that group of people, there aren't just going to be a bunch of opinions and thoughts, but people will be devoted to how Jesus responded to sin, to abuse, struggle, to addiction, to prostitution, to adultery, to, to anything. If we are committed to staying in the text and reminding people, you, you know that Jesus died for stuff like that too, don't you? You know that God still delights in you because you believe in Jesus, don't you? 
You know that we're not going to take a step back because somehow you're a worse sinner than us. Like, if group is not this competition of, you know, who's the better Christian and who's more sanctified in the room, but we just all come with sin of our own stripes, and yet there is Jesus who is striped on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, then group would be perfect. Group would be the safest place on the planet. And group is where you could get a glimpse of the face of God, who when you confess to him, does not shrivel up his nose in disgust, but gushes with love and grace and mercy. And so I don't just want you to join a group. I want that group to be committed to the Bible because the Jesus who's at the center of the Bible is the best thing in all of creation. So that's the first thing. Uh, which brings us to the second thing. What else was the early church devoted to? Well, let's go back to Acts 2.42. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. So I, I came up with this all by myself. They were also devoted to fellowship. <laughs> uh, fellowship is just a, a fancy Bible word that means uh, mutual concern. Like if you thought that the first part meant Group is just about some in-depth intellectual Bible study. No, no, no. It's just as much about people as it is about passages. It's about people who have an actual love and concern that they would give up their own wealth, their own time, their own energy to show love to actual people that God loves. And if that sounds awesome, it is. What makes groups so good are the people, the encouragement, the faith, the knowledge, the prayers, the forgiveness. But <laughs> can I be real with you too? The hardest thing about group is the people. Because <laughs> people are really, really great on paper. But in practice, they're people. <laughs> uh, I sometimes think, I know it's a little cheesy. My wife didn't like this one. I think group is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> you never know who you're going to get. <laughs> you ever heard of uh, comedian Jim Gaffigan? <laughs> he talks about Valentine's Day chocolates as gamble chocolates. Have you ever heard this bit before? He's like, oh, that one had toothpaste inside. Like, you don't know what's inside of it. And when you show up to group, you don't know who's going to be inside that house. And there might be people like you, and they might not be like you at all. And they might be wired the way you solve problems and think, or they might be on the opposite end of the spectrum. And so fellowship, actual group, becomes this battleground for love. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is patience, and it's self-control, and it's kindness, and it's gentleness. And you'll never know if you actually have that if you just come to church. I mean, I could be the most annoying person on planet Earth, and you could shake my hand and find a seat on the other side of church, and we're fine. But if you have to be with me week after week in the same room, all right. Now let's talk about love and commitment, and patience, and kindness, and self-control. In fact, I think that's why the Bible is as long as it is. And I'll put a little bookmark here where the book of Acts chapter 2 is in my Bible. Uh, do you know why there are so many pages that finish out the New Testament? Where there's Romans, and Corinthians, and another Corinthians, and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It's because the early Christian church was filled with people. <laughs> people who aren't always perfect. Sometimes they believed weird things. Sometimes they had really bad behavior. And the Apostle Paul had to write to them to encourage them because their churches were just like your group. They had people. But when we actually love people, 
As the passage says, when we are devoted to people, when I'm not just going to sign up and show up when it's convenient and nice and easy for me, but I believe that God has put me and put you in that room to learn to love people and to really grasp the heart of God that, that throughout the week, I'm kind of like that person that's hard to love. And yet God is so devoted and so committed to me. When you can find a group of people who actually care about each other's faith, that's a good group. And I think about how devoted some of you are to people. I was so proud of our church a couple months ago. Uh, there was this guy in our fellowship who was going through a really tough time in life. He needed a lot of encouragement. And I was going to help him, but I knew he needed more than just me. And so I reached out to about a, a dozen people from our church. And I asked in an email, hey, would you be willing to write a letter to this brother in the faith to encourage him? And I was hoping that two or three, maybe four, I mean, six would have been amazing. People would have committed themselves to encouraging this brother. You know what happened? Within an hour, reply in my inbox. I'd love to help, Pastor. And then another reply in my inbox. Count us in, Pastor. And then a third, and then a fourth, and then a fifth reply. We'll write every single week, Pastor. And I saw your devotion to fellowship. And I talked to this guy, and I, and I realized how much this means, what he has experienced among you at this church. Be, because we're not just devoted to coming and hearing a message week after week, singing four songs and going home. We are devoted to the fellowship. And so that's my encouragement to you. If you take that step and you sign up for a group and God brings all kinds of people like you are very different, then you see that as your, your mission, a chance to grow, to bring joy, to give love, to produce fruit. Two down, two to go. We continue in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Blank number three, they were devoted to breaking bread. Now, for about 2,000 years, Christians have debated what that phrase means. Uh, in the Bible, sometimes breaking bread means to sharing a, a meal together. And other times, breaking bread refers to what we call the Lord's Supper or the communion because Jesus broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples. And in the first time, I, I talk about both those things and how powerful they are for a group. But for the sake of time, let, let me just cover the former, the power when you and I are devoted and committed to sharing meals together. I think about that because I just read a study that was published by the U.S. Loneliness Index. They did this massive study of Americans and they tried to find out who are the loneliest people in America. And you know what they found? That even lonelier than people in their 70s, many of whom have buried their spouse, their parents, some of their best friends, the loneliest group of Americans were between the ages of 18 and 22. which is interesting to me. If you're 18 to 22, what some people call Generation Z, you grew up as a digital native. Like you can't remember a time when the internet didn't exist. You grew up with devices and smartphones and tablets. You, have been connect you are connected every day, perhaps to more people than your great-grandparents would have shaken hands with in their entire lives. So how is it possible that you can be that connected have that many likes, that many comments, and still feel lonelier than your grandparents? And I'm sure the answer to that question is, is pretty complicated and nuanced, but, but I wonder if part of it is this. The average 18 to 22-year-old doesn't 
break bread. They say that, that family dinners, that people actually looking each other in the eye over a table and good food is decreasing precipitously and our mental health is going with it. But what happens when we share a meal? When our communication is not carefully crafted and highlighted and deleted and rephrased, but we, we communicate with each other through what we say and through the expression on our face. What happens when we go out to dinner and we all put our phones face down and I can tell when you're quiet and frustrated, when you can sense when I'm confused or have a question, when we can read each other and dig in and communication is not shallow because face to face it's hard not to go deep. What happens when we're committed to to breaking bread is that we grow. There's often kindness and goodness and faithfulness and love. There's the joy of the gospel and the peace of Jesus that's shared when we can share a meal. And, and I know how powerful that is once more because I'm so proud of you as a church. About a month ago, one of my friends who lives uh, down in Milwaukee, he visited our church. I think he sat right there, real, real big tall guy named Matt. And afterwards, we, we talked and we were talking a lot about group that day. And he said, you know what? Pastor, being at your church gave me group envy. That's how he put it. <laughs> He's like, I really wish I lived closer. I really wish I could sign up for a group. But afterwards, he, he said something even more impactful. Uh, he said, you know, as I was leaving church, there was a noticeable buzz in the lobby. And, and I know what he meant. I preached at dozens of churches over the year, and I'm used to having a sore hand, you know, as the pastor stands at the exit and shakes hand after hand after hand as people bolt for their cars. But, but do you know what happens at this church? I run out afterwards before any of you get there. I stand in the parking lot and I wait for you to come out those doors. And not many of you do. <laughs> I don't know if it's me and you're, you're like sneaking out the back. You can tell me and be honest if that's the case. I mean, sometimes you got to run and you got to go and that's just fine. But I, I'm shocked by how few people will leave a packed church service and I walk inside and there is a buzz because you're breaking bread or cookies or coffee or whatever we're sharing. And, and I know our church has a lot of strengths and we have some significant weaknesses, but I think that has been one of the secret sauces of our church is that from its inception, we never meant to just check this little box called church. We always wanted this to be real and relational. We wanted to have a relationship that went beyond Sunday. We actually wanted to do life together. And, and I want you to know, when people who don't come here, come here, they notice it in you. And so that's why I want to encourage you with your group. You know, sometimes you got to go. Sometimes life is busy. Uh, sometimes, man, you, it's just good that you can make it to group and you got to run out the door. And that's Okay. But if at all possible, can I encourage you to do this one thing? Stay for food. <laughs> Sometimes it's not in the living room during the official group time. It, it's in the kitchen. Where that big group of 12 will break off into conversations of two and three and one anothering happens. Where real questions and, and digging deeper and real encouragement and the real grace of Jesus and real prayers and real forgiveness is given because we can do life together. You know, the secret sauce of the early church is that they didn't just show up one day a week. They were devoted to teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. Which brings us to our final point. Acts 2 verse 42 ends like this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That was their final devotion. They were devoted to prayer. Can I be really honest with you? I stink at prayer. 
<laughs> I feel bad. The Bible says actually my job description is to be really good at the Bible and prayer. And I'm, I'm bad at prayer. I'm not just trying to be humble. Like I'm good at the word. I love reading the Bible at home, but I'm, I'm bad at prayer. And I've, I've tried to fix it. I've tried prayer apps. I've tried journaling. I've tried accountability. I've tried repeating events in my calendar. I've tried push notifications on my phone. I recently I had to report to our lead pastor and tell him how many blocks of time I had prayed over the past two months for our church. Like not random shotgun prayers, but like when am I going to sit down and pray for you? And after two months, do you know how much time I had? 15 minutes. Yeah. But I'm not going to give up on prayer. I want to redevote myself to praying for you. And here's why. Because the devil fears people who persist in prayer. The devil knows that those who keep knocking, that the door will be opened. And those who keep seeking will find what they're looking for. And those who keep reaching out to Jesus will find him in the arms of faith. The, the early church devoted themselves to praying for each other. And when we do, good things happen. And I've seen it in group. <laughs> I've been to plenty of Bible studies and, and I love every kind of prayer. Thank God for that. But sometimes prayer is, is shallow and it's generic and our minds wander because it's nothing that we care about. But, but in group, when we know each other and we can pray, when you know that this is my temptation and I know that this is your struggle and I can pray for you by name and by situation, whew, God does really good things. When our group starts like a, a prayer thread, when on week one we get everyone's cell numbers and, and we start to pray for each other, not, not just week after week, but day after day, when I can put a, a prayer request and say, hey, this Friday I'm going to face this. I know it's going to be tempting. Would you pray for me? Man, God does really, really good stuff. When we pray, not just about safe travels and grandma's cancer, but we pray about holiness and forgiveness to escape shame and guilt. When we pray the gospel over each other that we would believe everything that Jesus did Incredible things happen. When we don't see prayer just as a starter pistol to group or the official technicality that ends a church service, but a privilege and a power source, great things happen. And so we devote ourselves to prayer. We, we commit ourselves to it. The past might stink, but we are not going to give up in the future because your Father in heaven loves to answer prayers in Jesus' name. And that's what they did. And it changed the world. Now, you could threaten Christians, you could persecute them, you could throw them to the lions, you could exclude them and mock them socially, but they were devoted to these things and it changed the world. And I hope it changes you too. You know, if you'd read the last few verses of Acts chapter 2, you'd find out the fruit that came from that group root. Let me show you one last passage today in Acts 2 verse 46. It says, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. There was gladness, happiness, there was joy, and there was peace. There was really good fruit because they planted really good roots. And I pray that you do the same thing. Now, maybe you've never had a group root before. You've, you've come to church and, and you've done that, but you've never had people that, that actually knew you and loved you. And maybe today you're going to take that step. 
Or maybe for some of you who've been part of a group before, you're going to take it a level deeper. and You're going to be devoted to people and to prayer and to sharing Jesus with one another. I don't know what your step is, but I pray that you take it because I know in time you won't regret it. A good pineapple takes 13 to 16 months to get good. And your group route might take just as long, but I guarantee you that if you commit yourself, it will be just as good. Because I want you to think like the old Swedish people did. And back in the year 1980, the Swedish Navy received this massive shipment of lumber, of oak, that came from the forestry department. And everyone in command was super confused because they had not placed an order for a massive amount of lumber. And so they checked back in the records and they looked into the details. And you know what they found? They found that a request had been made in the year 1829. In the early 1800s, the Swedish people had predicted that their country would face a shortage of lumber right around the year 2000. And knowing that the strongest oak trees would take about 150 years to grow, they decided in 1829 to plant 2,000 oak seeds and place an order for right around the year 2000 for the Swedish Navy. And there it was. And I hope you think about your faith that way. I know there's so many things to keep us busy in the moment, but I'm not thinking about the in the moment you. I'm thinking about the six months from now you. I'm thinking about the two years from now you. I'm thinking about a decade from now you. I'm thinking about your children and grandchildren connected to you. And I want you and I want them to enjoy good fruit. So plant a root, plant a seed. Pray for it to grow. You want more love, more peace, more joy, more fruit? Then I know your next step. Get a group. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for community. I thank you for the people that you have put in our lives who know the gospel and who shared it with us. I thank you, God, for every mom, every dad, every best friend, every roommate, every pastor, every teacher, every brother, every sister who shared Jesus with us, who, who was so committed to the gospel that we just could not live without joy and peace, that we could escape shame and guilt. And I pray, God, for all of us today. Uh, there's so many good things that we could do this week. There are things that aren't sinful and aren't wrong, but some of those good things will rob us of the best thing. And so I pray that you would give us the kind of wisdom to think long-term, that we would not just think about this day, but we would think about the next season of our spiritual life. And God, give us that commitment that whether it's the best experience or, or middle of the road, that we would know that you do great things when people gather around your word in your name. I thank you, God, for the history of our church. And coming here for the past few years, it's been amazing to walk into a group of people who are committed to doing life together. And I pray that we could take that baton faithfully and we could run even faster in the season to come. God, just in the past few weeks, you have drawn hundreds of people, more than we have ever had before, to take that step. And I pray today, tonight, will be the first step for, for dozens more and you would bless them because of the step they take. Thank you, God, for our church. Thank you for this fellowship. And thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for his devotion and commitment to saving us. We ask it all in his beautiful name and all God's people who loved having good roots. They joined their voices and they said, amen. Amen.